Welcome to Macintosh and Mod Haven't Seen What, the podcast where we make each other watch movies we should have already seen. I'm Diana. And I'm David. And today we watched Mo Better Blues. Jazz trumpeter Bleak Gilliam makes questionable decisions in his professional and romantic lives. It's a jazz movie. The jazz movie. Yeah, I, when I was watching this, I was I did have a lot of like La La Land flashbacks. A little bit. But mostly in like a positive way in that like I can see La La Land, which I did not like. I think it's garbage. And I was like, oh, there are some camera angles here that they stole for that movie. And probably from this one, which I don't hate. I'm not mad about that. No. I mean, Chazelle is, if anything, a a sort of cinema connoisseur who wants to translate that. And he just needs to edit his stories. But that's a different director. He's a director in search of a story. That's what he is. <laughs> Regardless, we're talking about Spike Lee. Spike Lee. I think, you know, the other side of it is Spike found some inspiration from Cherbourg in terms of color palettes. Sure, I, I can see that. But weirdly, this movie feels like a twist and pseudo remake of She's Gotta Have It. There, it's it's like um, a gender swap. She's Gotta Have It, almost. A little bit that. And I mean, he's... He is attacking it from a different angle. And to be honest, the bigger thing is that bleak story in all this is more background for this jazz music. Sure. Like it's a pseudo musical in that way. It's not a musical. It is a movie with a lot of music. (laughs) It's it's fair. It's a different thing. It's true. The music's really good, though. Pretty good. Did his dad do this? His father did compose the music for this. Now, he is composing it, and Terrence Blanchard is doing a lot of the music, and Blanchard's going to go on to do a lot of the compositions in the future. Oh, okay. Well, that, that makes sense. This was the last movie that I believe Billy composed in total for Spike. That's cool. Well, that would um, make sense. But yeah, it's... I don't know. That, this movie This movie drags. There's There's a lot of real rough parts to slog through with this one because he doesn't yes. keep the pace yes you know what it weirdly feels like a, a jazz troop set there's that's, lulls that's being too kind to it that's trying to like see oh it's on purpose because it follows jazz no it doesn't i'm not trying to cover up the the frustration with it when you get into like an improv set there's going to be times where you're like i'm bored can we get to the next song I, I think that was a lot of this movie. Like, I didn't hate it, but I was just like, I, why do I care? Oh, that's right. I don't. <laughs> because I, I, I think you, you're right to say it's a lot like she's got to have it. There's just an element to it where it's like really exploring this dude's like, la- not lack of a commitment, but like he's searching for different things in different ways. And it's just, it's just not interesting. I found it interesting. <laughs> I, I think the jazz stuff is interesting, but I think that message kind of gets lost with all the other stuff. It, it, it doesn't, the, all of the stuff that doesn't have to do specifically with jazz doesn't support that through line. It doesn't. I'm a little less down on this movie than you. Mm-hmm. We're, we're, we'll argue about that a little bit, but I, uh-huh. I do completely agree uh-huh. That it's overlong, it's not tight enough, and it could get to its point a lot quicker. Yeah. That being said, man, <laughs> there's it, it's the way he tells the story that's still so fascinating to watch to me. Mm-hmm. Like even when I'm sitting here knowing this is not his best, I'm still like, but damn, damn, is it interesting? <laughs> Fair. 
even when he doesn't have the best plot, he still has these really awesome characters. Right. And I mean characters with a capital C. All right. Like all these side guys, I think that's what draws me in is all of the different side players and their personalities and all the dynamics and the group mm-hmm. dynamics going on. That's what that's what grabs me still. That's what kept me like engaged with the movie. Whereas I could tell you were like, I don't, I don't care about this one. <laughs> I do like the out the other characters, but I think it comes back to they weren't used very well, with the exception of like the green room scenes with them. Yeah. Where they're interacting with each other. Those were great because the characters were alive. They were very active and they were and they were interacting with each other. They had good business. Otherwise, they're all wasted. Yeah, well, the other thing that I that I think this suffers from is Spike just got done making a masterpiece. Mm-hmm. How do you follow that up? <laughs> and I, it's weirdly, I think Spike right here is like, ah, let's just throw some stuff. Let's see what happens. Let's see what I put together. This really feels a lot more like him going, well, I just did this really incredible thing. I got to figure out what the hell I'm going to do next. Mm-hmm. And he just sort of said, I'm just going to make a movie for me. Okay. Because I feel like that's part of what this is. This is just a movie for him now that he just got done making this huge statement, mm-hmm. which is why it's a lot smaller. It's a lot simpler. It's back to that sort of romantic comedy style that, mm-hmm. you know, he's just like, man, I, I need to scale it way the hell back. Mm-hmm. And in doing that, unfortunately, he's making the movie for himself. So we're kind of left in the dust at some points. <laughs> Yeah. But I I liked it. I didn't hate it, but I didn't I didn't love it. That's fair. The budget was ten million dollars for this movie, but the gross for this film was sixteen million one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. We're noticing a slight pattern with Spike here. Yeah. I mean and and I'm gonna be perfectly honest with just the dynamics of who goes to see movies. I get it. I'm not saying it's right. No, I- it's just he's not a huge box office draw and also how do you market this movie off of denzel well yes except it's 1990 denzel is not capital d denzel yet i know but still (laughs) you have like that's the thing that's still who you would market it off of let's talk about our writing and our directing because we can wrap it all in one this one is completely spike it spikes in total so what do we think of his writing directing here the 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 writing it comes back to the story it's not a very good story he's got good kernels in there but the execution is not great it looks really good and it is i, I mean it's it's just that spike style that's good but i think the story really lacks he has a lot of really good impact plot points mm-hmm. and like rising action point rising action point there's nothing in between any of it to really cement it as a full story mm-hmm. And it makes the middle really mucky. Like the beginning and the end are strong. Yes. But because there's no specific through lines and we're not tightening up those times between those moments, we spend a lot of time just doing character study stuff. And if you were going to do that, well, then it just needed to be a full character study. It needed to be almost like a Birdman where you're just following around bleak the whole time. Yeah. And that was interesting. But if you're not going to do that and you want to explore all these different characters in this situation, which is fine, too, then you need a little bit more plot. Mm-hmm. And we're just missing, I don't know how many times we say this, connective tissue. We say it all the time. We have been saying it a lot. 
It's it's so noticeable when it's not there. It's what makes it, it's what makes an otherwise enjoyable movie kind of not so good. Oh, every yeah. time. It I mean it's needed. Yeah, it's absolutely necessary. So you know, and but then again, like you said, the styling, the look, the costumes. Again, we get back to him bringing in Ruth Carter and like all of this stuff and the way he's got everybody set up. And God damn it, even if he doesn't have a story, he writes characters so well. He does. Down he to does. the tiniest roles. Mm-hmm. Like, you know exactly who every single person is the moment they say their first line. Pretty much. And, you know, I'll give him that. That, that to me, is the only reason why it stays very entertaining is like, look at all these different characters. <laughs> all right. Well, we do have a what title could have been better. Ooh. He originally wanted to call it A Love Supreme, naming it after John Coltrane's jazz epic. However, Alice Coltrane, his widow, and a legendary composer herself denied permission to use it. Hmm, okay. We do get to hear it at the end of the film, which is just like, oh, what a perfect, what a perfect song to end it on. Mm-hmm. But Will Better Blues works. I get it. All right, let's talk then about our cast. Okay. We start... With Denzel Washington as Bleak Gilliam. Yep. Goddamn. <laughs> He's very interesting. This is the year after Glory. Oh, okay. This is before he is fully Denzel. Okay. Which Spike made him a star in 1992 with Malcolm X, which we will not be talking about for the show because we've already seen Malcolm X, both of us. Yeah. Um. But wow. It, this is that. This is that Denzel moment where he's like starting to put all the pieces together. Mm-hmm. and really going for broke. Like, there's a lot of him just going after the role. There's so much that is very much internalized here, which is very interesting. It's something that I've seen him do in other films, but, like, it's so pronounced here, and I, I mean that in a in a great way. You can tell that, like, what's happening is really what's going on in his mind. Yeah. And that's conveyed really well among, between his performance and then how Spike shot him. Like, I do think that is a great, great marriage on film. I think, you know, Denzel has such a specific presence as an actor, and especially in the biggest roles that he's had. Mm-hmm. When he gets with Spike, and I think it started here, mm-hmm. he lets his guard down a little bit, mm-hmm. and he allows a little bit more of that natural acting to come through. Mm-hmm. Like, Maybe. because when you have him in a, in, you know, a lead action role, He's got to be Mr. Tough, but a little a little too intense Denzel Washington. Hmm. And here he just gets to play all the different levels. Yeah. He's so good in this movie. He's very good. It's it's really fun to watch. If you if you aren't exactly sure about the movie itself, just watch it to watch Denzel do amazing shit. Yeah, it's a good plan. We have Spike Lee playing his manager Giant. <laughs> Spike gave himself a little bigger role here. Yeah, but you know, it I never I never feel like he's taking away. Like he's cast himself in a very good role for him, for his ability. He does and he does the he wrote that character so smartly in that at no point is this movie about Giant or he is pulling away from Bleak. Everything that we see with Giant is to show what turmoil he continues to put Bleak through. Mm-hmm. And Spike's perfect at then playing that. Yeah. Again, uh, he's done it in every single time. He casts himself in the exact right role that will not pull focus from the story. 
Yes, which, you know, not... <laughs> there's there's a lot of actors who decide to become directors and they can't do that. This is a man who, again, like we as we have said, does not have an unhealthy ego. No. <laughs> this man very, is very self-assured, but he's also very self-aware. Yeah, he, he knows what his skill set is. And, well, and he knows if I... If putting myself in this movie is going to hurt the movie, I'm not going to be in it. Yeah. But almost always, there is a role for him in there because it makes the most sense. Well, you know, also he's the writer, so yeah. he has that power. I get it. But, you know, writing from what he knows, that just helps. <laughs> sure. We have Wesley Snipes playing Shadow Henderson. Mm-hmm. Now, Diana, I don't believe we have talked about Mr. Wesley Snipes on this show before. I don't believe that we have either. Before this, he was in Wildcats, Streets of Gold, Major League, and King of New York. After this, New Jack City, Jungle Fever, White Men Can't Jump, Passenger 57, Rising Sun, Demolition Man, Tu Wong Fu, Money Train, Waiting to Exhale, The Fan, Murder at 1600, U.S. Marshals, Blade, Play It to the Bone, The Art of War, Blade 2, Blade Trinity, Brooklyn's Finest, The Expendables 3, Chirac, Dolomite is my name, and coming to America. What do we think of Wesley Snipes in this movie? This really goes more towards writing. I think they should have made him bigger, like his character a bigger is bigger. I feel like Wesley Snipes, he plays it well, but I don't think his character has enough nuance. Um, Put it this way. I think he does a great job of taking what again could have easily been a big caricature mm-hmm. and making it very real and grown. Yeah. Shadow's completely full of his own bullshit. Well, yes. But Shadow's also vulnerable. Yes. And is willing to show it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that scene with him in at Tower Records mm-hmm. is very vulnerable. The way he plays it. Because again, it could come off as a bad, uh, just a bad line. Mm-hmm. But he plays it for all the jokes, and then he just dead sets and levels. Is like, cause I wanted to see you. Yeah, and you're like, oh, <laughs> he's he's willing to play it. And then again, you know, he's just full of all this stuff. But then when it comes to his money, he's like, cut the bullshit. Where's my money? Yes, which we do like. And I I just appreciate that there was there's enough forethought from him in that. That again, even if it's not the best written character, he was willing to play it for the moment. Yeah. And he makes it really work, despite it not being the greatest character. Mm-hmm. All right. Finally, we have our two love interests, starting with Joy Lee playing Indigo Downs. Yes, Spike cast his own sister as one of the love interests in the film. That's cool. But like, you can tell it's her from like a mile away. Like him and his siblings all have the same nose and like pronounced eyes. Mm-hmm. Like they, you, if you told me they were twins, I would be like, yeah, that tracks. Joy is so fascinating to watch as an actress. She is. She is interesting. You know what it is? She does the exact same style as her brother mm-hmm. of really like, you think this person's going to overham it and then they play it so understated. Yeah. And she just rolls right into it. Like She's just like, okay, I'm a teacher. I'm a working lady and I don't want this guy's bullshit. All right. He's sleeping with other women. Well, at least he's honest about it. Yeah. But she's just so fucking natural. Mm-hmm. It's wild to think about because she she hasn't acted in anything else but Spike's movies. Hmm. But it's just, I don't know if it's just that 
that bit that they've got that communication working or mm-hmm. what, but she just rolls right into it with nothing. Yeah. Even at the end, when we get a scene between the two of them, which feels really awkward, but is heightened because of the style of the movie, mm-hmm. like Bleak confronting her is a moment where you're like, ooh, I don't know. But then you think about it for a minute and you're like, oh, well, no, that makes sense for this movie. Yeah. And even then, she's still playing that same level. Yeah. It's just consistent the whole way through. Joy did comment on what uh, many people would think would be awkward, filming sex scenes with nudity while her brother was filming. Mm-hmm. And Joy said, I didn't find it awkward. Quote, when he said, okay, take off your top, I just did it. It's not perverse. Unquote. I, I can understand there be might be a level of discomfort with other people, but if you're talking about two professionals, then Yeah. It just comes down to when they're on set, they're not brother and sister, they're actor director. That's 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 fair. I, yeah. I don't really have a problem with that. Like I I I get people being like, hmm, was that awkward? No, I didn't care. It's such a Lee family thing to say. <laughs> no. Yeah. Why would I care? Get to work. <laughs> and finally, we have Cinda Williams playing Clark Betancourt. This is her debut feature. After this, she would make One False Move, Tales of the City, The Tie That Binds, Black Rose of Harlem, and a bunch of random other films. Okay. What do we think of Cinda Williams in this movie? You know, she is really good when you when you look at her against Joy. Like her and Joy are like two sides of the same coin. And I think I think they're she's she's very good. I don't think she's as interesting as Joy. Here's my problem. She's not the greatest actress. I'm not saying that she can't do it, mm-hmm. but she is getting completely blown out of the water by two powerhouse actors. Mm-hmm. You've got Denzel and Wesley, and they're both completely over her level. Mm-hmm. And then you've got Joy, who, again, not really like a, a pronounced name actress, but confident enough in the role and strong enough in the role to go up against both of those dudes Mm -hmm. she does not have that (laughs) no she doesn't she doesn't have the same presence that joy really does no and when i tell you this who could have been better halle berry i knew you were gonna say halle berry i just knew like it's gonna be halle berry yeah the problem was halle turned it down because of the sex scenes fair and that's fair and totally understandable but <laughs> she yeah, she would have killed it. And even then, Hallie, you know, is still very early in her career, but she had enough presence and commitment to go up against those three. Mm-hmm. It's not that she's like a bad actress. It's that she's not at the same level and she's getting swallowed by the other three in this movie. Yep. And it's one of the glaring issues. Uh, it, it doesn't help the movie. All right, well, now let's talk about a fuck ton of Arpons. <laughs> yes. We have Giancarlo Esposito as Left Hand Lacey. Oh, Giancarlo. I, he, I love that he spikes just like, you're going to be the biggest doofus in all of my movies. Then, you know. He has doofus face. 20 years later, he became the biggest badass. Nobody saw it coming. It's just because he's a really good actor. I know. We have Bill Nunn playing Bottom Hammer, so Radio Rahim gets a little bit of an upgrade here. Mm-hmm. He's great. He's very good. Robin Harris playing Butterbean Jones. Sweet Dick Willie is back doing his black comedy bit. Unfortunately, he passed away shortly after filming is completed, 
and the film is dedicated to him. Mm, We have John Turturro and Nicholas Turturro as Mo and Josh Flatbush. I love John Turturro so much. Both of them. I mean, both of them are great, but like, I just get so happy when I see John Turturro. The two of them are doing the best cartoon character shtick. Oh, they they are adorable. They're just so funny. They're very funny. We have Jeff Tane Watts playing Rhythm Jones. So he is the actual drummer for these songs. Okay. Which we'll talk about how they how they did the music in the trivia, but he is the actual drummer playing on most of the actual music. Okay. Samuel L. Jackson as Rod, just beating people up. Yep. But he does also appear as the voice of DJ Senor Love Daddy. We have one Charlie Murphy as Eggy of Chappelle Show fame and brother of Eddie. Oh, yeah. We have Steve White playing Born Knowledge, the uh, the other guy in front of the club. He played Ahmad in Do the Right Thing. Oh, okay. Ruben Blades as Petey, the bookie. He's been in a bunch of stuff, Once Upon a Time in Mexico and Fear of the Walking Dead most recently, but he's a, he's a really well-known character actor. Okay. Abby Lincoln playing Lillian Gilliam. Bleak's mother in the beginning of the movie. Hmm. She was a longtime jazz singer who worked with Thelonious Monk, Mal Waldron, and Max Roach, who she also married for a long time. We have Dion Richmond playing Tyrone, the kid bothering them at the house at the beginning. This is Kenny from The Cosby Show and Malik from Not Another Teen Movie. Yeah, when, when he came on, I was like, I know who this child is. I can recognize his face. Who is this child? And so, like, I had to dive in a little bit because it just, he's not named in the movie. So, and they had a couple kids, so it was a little, a little difficult. And then as soon as I, I was like, wait, I finally, like, was able to picture his adult face. And I was like, I know who he is. I will find him. <laughs> I was very excited. He was also in Scream 3, so we talked about him then, too. I genuinely do not remember him being in Scream 3. But let me tell you, my brain was able to uh, put him into uh, Not Another Teen Movie, which is such an underrated film and has so many like super famous people. It's like Chris Evans' first big, big movie. It's hilarious. We'll get there. We'll get there. Bill Lee as the father of the bride. He shows up here for a little cameo. Cute. Branford Marsalis as a party guest. He is the actual saxophonist behind the music. He performed as part of the Natural Spiritual Orchestra and Do the Right Thing, and later worked as the original musical director of Jay Leno's The Tonight Show. Oh, hey, yeah, that makes sense. We have Dougie Doug as Jimmy the Busboy. This is one of his very early roles. It was the year before Cool Runnings, and I don't even remember seeing him. Oh, I do. I saw him, and I was like, that's Dougie Doug. There you go. I knew instantly because I also... Uh, have seen Cool Runnings an obscene amount of time. We have Tracy Camilla Johns as a club patron. You can see her real quick right at the beginning of the movie. They flash. And of course, this is Lola Darling from She's Gotta Have It. Mm-hmm. Joe Seneca as Big Stop's friend. He was the doctor in the verdict that was also uh, revealed to be an alcoholic. Ah, okay. And finally, as impatient movie patron, Flavor Flav. Yes, you cannot miss Flavor Flav. Fun side note, there when back when Flavor of Love was on uh, on VH1, <laughs> Dave and I got sucked into like an all-day marathon. It was awesome. Oh my god, man. The That was a ride. 
the Flavor Flav moment at the beginning of the movie. You get in the Universal logo, and then you get you hear Flavor Flav like start the movie, and you're like, oh man, oh man, thank you, Spike. Yes, that's amazing. Yes. All right, a little bit of trivia. Trivia. Both Denzel and Wesley Snipes trained to mimic the instruments that their counterparts, Terrence Blanchard and Branford Marsalis, played off screen. Hmm. Denzel admitted he was lucky if he could actually play three notes of a simple song prior to doing the film, but they were able to mimic every single note by the time they filmed the scenes. Good for them. They did their homework. They looked fantastic. They faked it well. The club's name, Beneath the Underdog, is a reference to jazz bassist and composer Charles Mingus, whose autobiography shares that title. Mm -hmm, Okay. And finally, the epilogue from the film comes from John Coltrane's amazing, beautiful notes to his greatest composition. Quote, no matter what, it is with God. He is gracious and merciful. His way is through love in which we all are. It is truly a love supreme. Unquote. Mm, okay. And that leads us to ratings. Ratings. Okay. For every film, we have a specific rating system. For this one, trumpets. Come on. Oh, oh wow. Trumpets. Come on. It's a jazz movie. He's a jazz trumpeter. I'm not arguing. I'm not arguing. Uh, I'll go first on this one. Okay. Not that I've seen it, but I'll go first. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say three. <sighs> I was really engaged with this movie. I understand it's flawed, and it's, it's not his best. But the characters are so solid. The vision is there. It just, he didn't have enough of the writing in like he has in some of his other stuff. Mm-hmm. And then, and then the acting is just so good. So it's just like, it's not his best. It's not the first movie I tell anybody to watch, but it's a movie that I still will recommend because I really enjoyed it. Three trumpets. Uh, see, uh, uh, I'm going to go two and a half trumpets. Okay. Be- because the writing is not great. Uh, performance is fabulous. Directing, good. But he needs a better story here. Um, like the pieces are there, but it kind of feels like he needed to like marinate it on it better, or he needed somebody else to like come in and be like, "Oh, this is what you're missing. This is this is how we need to tighten it up or or expand here." Um, it's it. I mean, I I I agree. It's a good movie. It wouldn't be the first one I would tell people to go watch, but eh, it's, it's it's a middle. It's a middle. <laughs> All right, well, we are going to go from Spike's Ode to Jazz to Spike's rendition of his childhood. Oh, joy. Crooklet. Yes. I've heard of this movie. Mm-hmm. I know nothing about it other than it is sort of autobiographical. I, I don't, other than you telling me a little bit about it for this series, I know nothing about it. Well, I'm excited for us to find out, shall we? All right. Well, until next time. Have a good movie. Thanks for listening. Be sure to review and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. For questions, comments, and recommendations, you can email us at macintoshandmod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook.